that uh, Joy is not Steve. Um, Steve is uh, getting a chance to visit his family in Texas, and so I uh, wanted to make sure we gave him that opportunity uh, to be away and enjoy family, and so Joy has been willing to uh, offer to fill in for the next two weeks, and so thank you so very much. Um, it's really nice to have like an in-house uh, backup that we can go, hey, and, and just be able to respond, so it is certainly appreciated. Uh, Ted is also gone this week, and out at the ocean was debating on coming back, and uh, hopefully he's not watching and then I get in trouble for talking about him. Kind of sternly told him, like, no, you don't have to come back. And he does. Ted does a lot around the church. He responds to things that are broken, and he carries a weight of responsibility. And, and I do love it when everybody is here. At the same time, I'm going to tell you all have permission to miss any Sunday you need to. If you have an opportunity to miss church on Sunday to go and spend time with family, I'm going to say go and spend time with family. I don't think your faithfulness to God is measured in church attendance, uh, right? Or your commitment to whatnot. So I uh, just encourage everybody, have a life. Visit family. Go to Texas. Stay at the beach. Whatever you need to do to be refilled. Um, that way you come back energized and excited to be here. Um, I'm kind of giving you that permission just in case you needed it. Um, because uh, I really do believe uh, God desires, and there's scriptures that gives you the desires of your heart. We want you to be filled and happy and not, church should never be burdensome. Um, but with that, as Ted does do so much, what if something goes wrong? It's like, well, then we will deal with it. Even if I just have to yell and there's no technology and we just have candlelight, we'll figure something out. But uh, it would be good. I uh, just encourage you guys to maybe this week or next week is you interact with Ted. Just a little bit of an extra appreciation. Hey, thanks for all you do. Thanks for always doing the sound. Thanks for responding to the issues or the fire alarm calls or, or any of those kind of things. Uh, to, to let him know he is appreciated, but we also value his time away as well. would be great. Uh, on the front of your bulletins, there is a verse from Hebrews 9 and 10. And it says, So then, a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also rest from their labors, as God did from His. Uh, one of the interesting things is we even talk about church and, and uh, time away. There are times within our Christian religion and our practices that um, we get distorted sometimes, right? And the idea of Sabbath, which is the seventh day when God rested, uh, kind of put it on the people that, that you too should take a day of rest. Like it is good to, to labor, it's good to toil and to build and to work, and you have natural gifts and talents that should be put to use for the betterment of the world and, and to take care of your family and all of that. But, but this emphasis within Scripture to also rest. And in those quiet spots, in those silent spots, those are oftentimes we come to be able to hear and know God better. And so, so rest. But what can happen with any religious practice, um, if it turns into dogma, all of a sudden it's no longer meeting the point. Right? Sabbath is supposed to be for us. It is for you. 
to have a respite, to, to, to whatnot. But it became so dogmatic throughout Scripture. We're in this series where how love changes the narrative. And we've looked at a couple of these miracles or interactions with Jesus that actually took place on the Sabbath. And then the Pharisees and religious were like, oh, you, you did a miracle on the Sabbath, which is technically work. Therefore, you're breaking the laws. And, and the Sabbath became so um, regimented and structured. And this is also the fun part, is we actually believe... Sunday's the first day of the week. This is where I don't know how Protestants got it wrong. This is not the Sabbath. This would be the first day of the week. Saturday is actually the Sabbath. Um, there are some groups that still practice that. So like, oh, you got to go to church and it's the Sabbath, and it's like, no, actually, this is this is Sunday. This is not the this, the Sabbath. Um, so throughout history, there's all this also convoluted and scheduled, and well, we say this and you say that, and and, and once it becomes about the structure or the systems and the regulations and it's no longer about you or what scripture had intended then I actually think now we're sitting right now, now we're not in line with what God had intended things so Sabbath this passage that there's a Sabbath rest that remains for God's people the Sabbath is for you and even in the scripture reading that that was there that Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. The idea that this is such a regimented religious practice that you have to hold to, that somehow humans were created just so we could uphold the Sabbath. Just so we can monitor, like, like no, this is, it's flipped. Right? The Sabbath, this idea of God's rest was created for you. So you could find rest. So you can find respite. So you can have a quiet space in your soul and perhaps hear God and see God. And so as we take a peek through this, I am, uh, I've warned a few people. And last week I had a post-it note. Uh, and I went over time. This week I have five pages of notes. So hopefully you brought lunch. Uh, uh, no, mostly overview. There are seven miracles in Scripture that they put specifically as occurring on the Sabbath. And I just want to kind of, a little bit of a highlight through these before we get into talking about um, a little specific. So the first one I want to bring up is Mark chapter 1, 29 through 31. And Jesus heals Simon's Peter's mother. And this happens on the Sabbath. And, and there's a little bit of flag too because... Uh, one was healing on the Sabbath. This is, he's breaking the rules because at that point, too, as, as the Sabbath began to be constructed, um, some of the rules within uh, not just Levitical law, but as the Pharisees um, began to add, like, well, this is what we need to it, right? So you had the Torah and Scripture, sacred text, and then they had, like, the teachings. And in the teachings, it really began, like, well, what does it mean to work? And so, well, you can't pick up anything of a burden and carry it more than 15 feet because that would be work. So you can't do that on the Sabbath. You can go 14 feet and you're okay. But if you go 15 feet, now you're working and you're breaking, you know, the law. So, um, so there's all these kind of really weird restrictions on the idea that on the Sabbath, because it's a day of rest, if you work, you're violating the Sabbath. And so what is work? What does it mean to labor? 
Um, and all of these things, you know, started coming out. So Jesus is at Simon Peter's house with the other disciples. Um, and Peter's mom is, is sick and dying, and, uh, or at least a heavy fever, and Jesus heals her. Uh, one of the interesting pieces in that, too, is that uh, people thought maybe Jesus was even showing favoritism. Oh, it's the Sabbath, but you're breaking the Sabbath because it's one of your people. Right? And, and with the Pharisees, even, there was a little bit of that, like, well, you know, here's the law, but this really benefits us, so here's an exception to the law. Uh, and, and kind of tweaking some of those pieces. But Jesus went to her, took her by the hand, and lifted her up. It says the fever left her body. What's interesting, some of, uh, you think about the miracles of Jesus and how he heals. And again, it's in this context of this love story, right? That, that love changes the narrative. How does the act of love change the story? Uh, typically when I'm sick and I start to get better, I'm still a little bit weak or fatigued. Maybe I've been restless, so I try to do too much, which then just puts me down for another day. Some of you guys have probably experienced that. What was interesting is immediately, not only was she made well, but her energy was restored. And immediately she began to serve the disciples, which was also work. She began tending to their needs, preparing foods and whatnot. Uh, and after she was healed, it says that she did not need to rest, uh, but she was able to regain uh, normal life there's another story of Jesus uh, as he heals a person born blind. We actually talked about this one uh, a little bit because this goes into also, well, you know, who sinned in those days is still very much, um, if you had an ailment, it was due to your sin. You were angry at someone. And this is like a very cause and effect oriented. But, uh, and the disciples were asking, who, who sinned? And Jesus answered them, no one had sinned, uh, but this man, so that God's work could be displayed through him. Uh, and we, we went through that one in pretty deep a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to dive down too much. Um, another one, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus heals a crippled woman. Uh, and we know it was on the Sabbath because Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. And as he left, there was this woman with a disabled spirit for 18 years. And it says that she, she was a hunchback, like literally, like physically crippled. It was a visual sign that people could actually recognize easily. Um, one of the things that I also find interesting when we talk about healing and Jesus working in people's lives, and we saw through a lot of our stories that we went deeper, that it wasn't just the physical healing that Jesus cared about, but Jesus cared about the people, right? That the person born blind had faced the Sanhedrin and, and the Pharisees and answered all these questions. And Jesus went and found him afterwards. He was already healed, but realizing that there was this, this spiritual trauma and having to answer to the, he went and found you. Jesus went and found him. Right? That the woman with the bleeding issue, um, when she was healed, Jesus stopped and, and it says that he recognized her. He called her daughter and he took time to hear her whole story. So most of these healings around Jesus, too, as we talk about the character of them, it isn't just the healing itself, but it's what's going on. And this lady um, said that she was literally physically crippled in a hunchback. And sometimes it's easier for us to respond to needs that are more visual. 
right? We talk about this a lot with emotional challenges and traumas. If you were to break your leg, I would wager that this church, because you guys do such a great job of genuinely loving and caring for one another, you would show up immediately. There would be a meal train. Somebody would be over mowing their lawn. Why not? Because sometimes it's easier to respond to need when it's physically visual and obvious. But when you deal with isolation from some of these, or accusations like the, the blind man who was able to heal the woman who had been dealing with the blood issue forever and isolated, but but there's healing that needs to be done when there's emotional trauma as well. And so I, we're willing to show up for a broken leg, but are we willing to show up when maybe the challenges aren't so visual? When the lady wasn't on hunchback, but it's dealing with depression or some sort of family crisis that maybe even taboo in the church, do we show up to the non-visual needs as well? This lady was a hunchback. Pretty obvious. Jesus went and immediately made her straight by laying his hands on her. And she glorified him instantly. And the people could see it. And the people responded. Not all positive, because the rulers of the synagogue said to the others, basically, <laughs> um, like, who is this Jesus? Why is he working on the Sabbath? Again, to think through, if, if the Sabbath is for us, and not us for the Sabbath, the, the religious leaders at this time are beginning to have issues with, with Jesus and Jesus' disciples because they keep doing good on the Sabbath. But the Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest. You can't do things to help other people. That's work. You can't heal people because that's work. It's not about people. It's about this rule. It's about this structure of religion that we've begun to understand. And which is more important. And so, by this point, Jesus has already started to get in trouble with religious people. Um, note here it says, all of the adversaries <laughs> were beginning to, to make plans. What are we going to do with this Jesus? How do we keep him in check? How do we... I mean, he's doing good, which we like, but it's beyond our structure and our rules. So, so how do we control him? Right? Think through the impact of power and influence throughout society, culture, whatnot. Like, a lot of it, how do we control him? This weekend was also uh, one of my cohorts for schools over the Franciscan Spiritual Direction. Uh, and we were, this season stretch, we were looking at various Christian mystics throughout history. Uh, a lot of early European, through, you know, the Desert Fathers, all of those. It's just so interesting, the majority of these Christian mystics, uh, the church couldn't control. And there's a little bit like, maybe we can experience God through nature. Like, no, no, you can only experience God through Scripture. Because we can control that. And the majority of Christian mythics, who now we go back and we read some of their writings, we're like, this is beautiful, this is valuable. The vast majority of them were murdered by the church. Because we didn't know what to do with them. How do we control Jesus? Because he's healing people, he's doing good on the Sabbath, and we have rules about that. And so, if we can't control him, Let's murder him. Right? We're coming up on Lent, which is the journey in towards Easter. 
as we lean into the Christian year and the calendar of, of this God who takes on human form, the incarnate flesh of God is the biggest expression of love. Right? You want to talk about love that changes the narrative. This is it. Jesus in human flesh walking around doing good, loving people. But I need you to do it within our structure, within our guidelines, within our rules. And if you step outside of our structure, our guidelines, our rules, it's going to make us uncomfortable. And, and we're going to eventually either excommunicate you or we're going to murder you. Because it's more about control than it is any of the good that we could possibly do to other human beings. And so the adversaries of Jesus are beginning to make plans. There's another healing in Luke 14. Uh, so it's a healing of a man with dropsy, which is um, basically excess fluid. I actually had to look this up. It, it's a form of edema, which is excess fluids, which comes to various parts of the body. A lot of times people who pass away from this, it's excess fluid around the heart. So it becomes a, a heart failure issue. Um, but it shows up and appears in excess of fluids everywhere, bloating, whatnot. Um, and in this story, Jesus is dining at the house of a Pharisee, and the Pharisees actually begin to ask him and question him, like, so um, let's talk about this law. We hear you're doing good things on, uh, on the Sabbath. So what, what is lawful? And Jesus, is it actually lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Um, and, and they're having this debate about it, which I also love. Uh, sometimes, you guys have probably caught on that I'm a little snarky at times, and Sarcasm is one of my primary forms of communication and language. Uh, and, and so Jesus basically with this, this man dealing with dropsy is like, you know, is it, is it good to heal on the Sabbath? And we're having this intellectual debate between the Pharisees and Jesus. And then Jesus goes, like, you know what? Let's just end the debate. I'm just going to heal this person. Like, while you guys sit around and talk about it, try to figure out, like, what should we do? Should we help this person? Should you not help people? Like, well, the Taurus is this, and they're having it. Like, yeah, okay, great. Uh, heal. You guys keep talking about it if you want. I'm just going to actually go out and love people and care for people and try to pay people's worlds better. Like, you have as many committee meetings as you need. Um, we're going to go out and actually put love into action. Um, which, again, you can imagine the Pharisees don't like so much. So they continue to try to figure out what are they going to do with this person. Uh, another one is where Jesus actually drives out an evil spirit. So this isn't physical whatnot. So this, a lot of times, I think, when you look at Old Testament evil spirits, that's where it shows up so much more in, in terms of, oh, well, is this mental health or is this an evil spirit? It's not a physical ailment, but there's an ability to not control, to fathom, to communicate, to function. Uh, and, and we're okay with you healing on hunchback, maybe, but as soon as it gets into mental health or evil spirits or different things, we're not comfortable with that. I mean, the reality of mental health still makes a lot of Christians and Christian leaders very uncomfortable because we can't explain it very well. We, we can't just control it and so it makes Christian leaders still very uncomfortable when we start talking about mental health issues within the church. Suicide, depression, whatnot. Like, oh, well, you should just be better. Have you thought about praying? Uh, let me do that. It'll all just go away. Um, you just need more faith. And if you just had more faith in Jesus, poof, you'd be better. And, and we, we end up saying these things that are ridiculously harmful to people who are in the journey of struggling. 
And so Jesus comes and he heals this person with an evil spirit um, and begins just teaching with authority in the synagogues. Uh, Jesus heals a lame man at the pool of Bethesda, um, which is in Jerusalem, which is interesting. The pool of Bethesda was said to have healing properties. So around that pool, there was typically people who had ailments. And they would set their mat out there, and this was a like, kind of big interchange. And so it was a spot, too, where if you were approved, you could. this is where you could ask for alms for the poor. So this was kind of an area where um, there were regular people. And this person, the thought is that they've been there for a while. So everybody who's come and gone from this pool has been, like, they, they know this. This is a known person. This isn't some random stranger that they have seen, but this is actually a person who everyone coming through the city on a regular basis has seen. It's like, oh, well, that's John. He's been here a while. He's been here for years. We know who he is. Uh, it says that he's been lame for 38 years um, in the text. And Jesus told him, not just be healed. This is the Sabbath again, and you're not allowed to work. And so Jesus told the man, hey, you're healed. You don't need to be here on your bed anymore. So take up your mat take up your bed and walk. But according, you can't work on the Pharisee, you know, or on the Sabbath, so he could technically only pick up his bedding and walk 14 feet. Because <laughs> if he walks 15 feet, he's breaking the rules, which he did. And so the Pharisees, the issue is not, here's a man who's been crippled for 38 years and is healed, which you would think would be the thing we should talk about. No, no, let's Picked up his mat and walked. Breaking the rules. That's not how we do things here. Excuse me, sir. You're in violation. Here's a citation. Sometimes we just so miss the point. Right? For God so loved the world, he came to love us and he empowers us to love the world in his name. And yet we get so sidetracked about silly things. Because it's not how we do things. It's not how we control things. It's not how we control you. What is important? Sabbath is made for us. It is God's rest and it's designed to be a gift given to us that we can have this break and this respite that we can have, have a moment of, of, of even just our body and our flesh restoring our mind, having space to be able to restore thought, to dwell on the things of God and have this rich experience. It is not about, mm, I'm going to give them this thing so I can control them one day a week. They have to dress up in their Sunday fancies and show up, and they got to stand up and sit down, and they got to do the call and response. It's right. The Sabbath was not designed to control you. Church and this service is not designed to control you. This ought to be a gift to you as a moment to connect with God, to connect with others, to sing praise, to give, to pray. And if if it becomes something else, if we somehow make this attendance of church. Um, obligatory or, or, you know, and we begin to strip away the joy of it. This ought to be a gift to you. And if it becomes anything else, I golly, don't come. But you have my permission to stop if this is no longer a gift to you. I will also say that sometimes coming to church is a gift to others. This is, a, this is not how I like to shrink a church. I'm not telling everybody to go away. I just want it to be a value to you. 
And I also know that there are some days when it's like, oh, I don't want to go to church at all. Like, I'm just tired. I'm like, the hard thing is, like, who's, like, I mean, I have to now, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and there are some days where it's not even about me, but I show up and I end up having a conversation in the foyer or during coffee hour and encourages someone else. Well, what did I get out of it? Maybe nothing. Maybe the days where you don't feel like coming to church, but you feel like you ought to anyways. Those are the days in my mind that's like, all right, Lord, what conversation are you going to put me in? Where is my moment to be an encourager to somebody else? And maybe today going to church has nothing to do with me. It's just about me being there to add my voice to everyone else during worship. Maybe it's to encourage someone while we're eating snacks or grabbing a coffee. And then, luckily, because the Sabbath rest is for us, there are days when I'm just hurting or stretched thin and I'm here and somebody comes up and says something encouraging to me. And those days it is about me. Because God does actually love me. He creates things to be gifts for us. And so church becomes this thing where we both receive as well as we give. Um, and to be in those moments. Um, the last miracle I want to look at is uh, part of the text we read in uh, Mark 3, but I want to look at Matthew 12 and what it says here in this version. Oh, God, I got three minutes. Uh, and I'm just I'm going to read this uh, because this is where some of the text really comes in understanding and challenging the Pharisees. And, and one of the interesting things, too, uh, commentators are arguing, like, why did Jesus actually choose to heal on the Sabbath? And there are some who argue it was really this more of a political move to challenge the Pharisees. The Pharisees had gotten it askew, and, and he wanted, this was about challenging the Pharisees and, and challenging their hypocrisy around their serving, and, and that's what it was all about. And, and others are like, no, this is like the character and nature of Jesus. Why did he heal? It's because it's who he is. It's what he does. He loves people. He's going to heal people. He's going to do good. Like, there's no alternative motive. This is just who he is. And and there is a little bit of a conflict amongst, like, religious and biblical scholars. And I'm going to say probably a little bit of both. Um, and maybe both and. Yes, this is who he is, but it's also an opportunity to challenge the Pharisees. So, you know, you might as well take it. Ruffle some feathers. Um... So Matthew chapter 12. Uh, At the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. And they began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Right? They were harvesting grain. That's work. But they were hungry and they needed to be fed, which is one important. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for him and his companions to eat, but only for the priests. 
Not only was it not lawful for them to do only for the priests, in David's group, he had non-Jewish people in his David's 40 men. So not only were they not priests, these were not Jewish people. These were, you know, the others. And they entered God's house and ate the bread of presence. It's not lawful for them to do. Uh, or have we not read that the law of the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath? So when you were serving in the temple, you had work to do even on the Sabbath. But they were able to break that law and were guiltless. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than your religious structure. Something greater than your church buildings. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Right? So not only, yes, the Sabbath is a gift, but it clearly says that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the boss of this rest. And so what does it mean to honor the Sabbath? Right? If Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and it is in his nature and his character to do good, to love people, to heal people, then if we act like Jesus on the Sabbath, is that not how we honor the Sabbath? To act like Jesus? To maybe take the Sabbath and that is the day we actually do good? And not work and burdensome because we have to and somebody has to come and light the candles and set things and oh, i got to go volunteer at the church because no one else is going to... Not that nonsense. But out of joy because it's a gift where we just love people, we actually act like Jesus on the day that says he's the Lord of that day? Is that not how we honor the Sabbath? And in this conversation, it says that he left that place and entered their synagogue, went straight into the, the church. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him again, is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. Right? At this point, they're setting him up. They know who Jesus is. This is his habit. Um, they may have even intentionally brought the withered. They're like, they're setting him up. Um, and he said to them, Suppose that one of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Will you not lay hold of it and lift it out? Imagine your family pet is now stuck or something happened to them. It's the Sabbath. You can't carry animals because it's breaking the rules. And he turns it back to the, to, to the Pharisees. Like, if you had a sheep and it fell into a pit, would you not lay hold of it and pick it up? Because you don't want it to die in the pit or be hungry or whatnot. How much more is Jesus often referred to as our shepherd? Going to see one of us, even if it's on the Sabbath, or even if it's going to break some rule, and just say, you matter. I love you enough that I'm going to take hold of you, Sabbath or not. And I'm going to pick you up. And I'm going to tend to your wounds. I'm going to make sure you have food. I'm going to make sure you have water. I'm going to make sure you're nurtured. Maybe even that night you don't sleep out in the barn, but you get a special little blanket by the bed. How many of you? I mean, you guys are suckers for pets. I know you are. Um, I just, my wife is like, oh, you're another animal. Great. Uh, <laughs> uh, how much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And 
then he said to them, to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. And they wanted to destroy him. How much more valuable are humans than our religious structures? Than our ways of doing things, than our policies, than our procedures? Um, now, yes, there are policies and procedures that exist for a reason. We need a system. To, but, but those are supposed to be to help us to do good, not to limit us in things. And so how do we respond to people? There is a... I'm going to end with this because I'm over. Uh, I got this from a uh, Church of God Sabbath Fellowship group. It says, in conclusion, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and that makes the Sabbath the true Lord's day. In performing these seven Sabbath miracles, Jesus is showing us how to keep the Sabbath. He emphasized the human element of mercy, compassion, and loving kindness by healing and doing good on the Sabbath. He showed us that we are not to be hard-hearted as the Pharisees were when it comes to the Sabbath. We need to keep the Sabbath as Jesus did by worshiping God and doing good. The last verse of the Gospel of John says, And there were also many other things that Jesus did. And while if they were all written one by one, I suppose that even the whole world itself could not contain the books that could be written. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for all the good that you've done. I thank you for the gifts that you give us. And even this church and our structure and our order of service as we come into Lent and, and we explore spiritual practices that we would view these not as obligation or burdens, but these are things that are given to us for us to help understand you. And Lord, as your nature is to love people and to do good and to restore and bring healing, I pray that we would lean into that. Lord, help us to understand what it means to really honor the Sabbath by being more like you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.